The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the sixth Doctor story, The Ultimate Foe. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to stick around. We've got some great feedback from listeners on our most recent episode on uh, the 12th Doctor Robot of Sherwood episode. We'll also be talking about some Doctor Who news. That's right, news uh, of, of upcoming productions. So that's pretty fun. But but we're saving that for the end for people who don't want spoilers and speculation and stuff like that. Right, yep. right. You stick around until after we've talked about Ultimate Foe. Uh, be sure to write an Apple podcast review of The Secrets of Doctor Who. Uh, take a moment and go do that. That's a huge benefit to the show and to you because it grows our audience and helps expose us to more people. And uh, also recommend to your Doctor Who loving friends. We, we really appreciate when you do that. Another show on the network you're sure to enjoy is The Secrets of Technology. And you can find out more about that at csqpn.com slash technology. Where you can learn how to build your very own sonic screwdriver. Yes, we should do that an episode on that someday. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> All right. So we are talking about The Ultimate Foe, which is the, the end of the Trial of a Time Lord series. It's the end of the Sixth Doctor's time on TV. And uh, it's a two-episode series, uh, well, two-episode story. Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in this one? The Trial of the Sixth Doctor reaches its conclusion, with the Doctor trying to prove that the evidence against him in the Time Lord's computer matrix has been tampered with. The Doctor gets unexpected help in proving this when the Master appears on the courtroom's view screen, revealing that he is inside the Matrix, thus demonstrating that it can be compromised, as the Doctor has been yelling. But it wasn't the Master who faked the evidence. Instead, it's revealed that the court's prosecutor, the Valier, did this on behalf of the Time Lord's corrupt High Council, and that the High Council set up this show trial to frame the Doctor to cover up their own misdeeds. It's also revealed that the Valyard is a future version of the Doctor, and the High Council made a deal with him to give him the rest of the Doctor's regenerations. The Valyard uh, then makes a break for it and enters the Matrix, so the Doctor and Sabalom Glitz follow him in, while Companion Mel pleads with the High Court on the Doctor's behalf. As in any Matrix-based story, we have lots of illusions and mindless running around. However, the upshot is that the Doctor defeats and seemingly kills the Valyard. When he emerges from the Matrix, he learns that the High Council has been deposed, that Perry survived Mind Warp and is now the warrior queen of King Erkanos, and Mel takes the Doctor off in the TARDIS for his final adventure with Carrot Juice, Carrot Juice, Carrot Juice. At the end, we learn that Villiard actually survived and is now impersonating the Keeper of the Matrix. He breaks the fourth wall by turning to the audience and laughing maniacally. The end. <laughs> so once again we learn that the, it's not the crime it's the cover-up <laughs> that the yep. the uh high as, council as as richard nixon told david frost that's right uh the the high council is uh covering up its failure to keep the matrix secure and with a frame-up job for the doctor among other things among other things before we get into what happens in the episode itself i, I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes of this production of this episode, because like we said, it's the end of the sixth doctor time on TV. It's the end of season 23. And it's also the final contribution to Dr. Who of scriptwriter Robert Holmes, who died during the writing and production of this episode, of this story, these two episodes. Yeah. So Robert Holmes was meant to write. So these are ep- in the season. These are episodes 13 and 14. And Robert Holmes was commissioned to write them both, but his health was rapidly deteriorating. He managed to write uh, episode 13, and he had notes for episode 14 of what was supposed to happen, which I I can actually tell us. 
Um, but in terms of what happened, he he died before he was able to complete episode 14. And so uh, script editor Eric Sayward uh, went to finish it, but he then got into a huge battle with uh, John Nathan Turner, uh, who was the producer of the show. Eric Sayward uh, had been unhappy with the direction of the show. In particular, he didn't think Colin Baker made a good doctor, that he was miscast. And, um, and he also was very much a fan of Robert Holmes and wanted to see Holmes's original vision for the story executed. However, John Nathan Turner was very concerned that it, the way it was originally planned to end, it would give the BBC a great opportunity to cancel the show. And so uh, he insisted that the ending be changed. Eric Sayward insisted that they honor Holmes's plan. Sayward then left the show, taking his rights to the script with him. And so John Nathan Turner, at the last minute, brought in Pip and Jane Baker, who had written, who had written um, The Vervoid Crisis, and said, Hi, here's the script for season for, for episode 13. For legal reasons, I can't give you any direction for what episode 14 needs to contain, because that <laughs> could get us sued if one of, one of the uh, previous elements showed up in it and, and you had seen the, the, the notes or the script for it. So have fun making up something completely new. Yeah. <laughs> and you could tell there is a difference. Like the way 13 ends and 14 begins, you could tell it's almost like The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Like, yeah. oh, uh, this is how this one ends. We're going back in another direction. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of interesting to see. What was the original uh, well, script? Uh, according, I've seen different accounts of it, but according to um, TARDIS Wikia, uh, in Robert Holmes and Eric Sayward's original conception, the first episode revealed that the failure was, in fact, the Doctor's final incarnation. And they made that a little more ambiguous in dialogue, mm -hmm. um, but they gesture in that direction. The finale then opened with the Master saving the Doctor from the quicksand, which is different than what they did while the Valyard kidnapped Glitz, which is also different. The Doctor encountered Popplewick again, who led him into a trap baited with an illusory Mel. Popplewick, too, was revealed as a construct of J.J. Chambers, who in turn was unmasked as the Valyard. While news reached the courtroom of the High Council's mass resignation, the Master warned that the Valyard had materialized his TARDIS around a time vent in the Matrix. So now we're going really different. Mm. If the vent were to be opened for too long, there would be catastrophic ramifications for the space-time continuum. The Valyard, shown to be a pitiable old man afraid of dying, planned to use this threat to force the Time Lords to grant him the Doctor's remaining regenerations. The Master revealed that he was hired by the High Council to murder the Doctor in exchange for a pardon, but had now decided not to follow through. The Doctor bluffed his way into the Valyard's TARDIS just as the Valyard opened the time vent door. Struggling, the Doctor and the Valyard plunged into the time vent while the Master had Glitz seal the door, saving the universe but trapping the Doctor for all eternity. Hence, John yeah. Nathan Turner's fears, oh, heroic sacrifice of the Doctor locked in eternal struggle with his evil self. That would be a great point to end the show. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. Given that the, uh, the 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 BBC had been trying to cancel the show and would eventually do so in a, a couple years later, yeah, <laughs> I can see why you'd be sensitive to that. Now, don't give them any opportunity. Uh, yeah. So, um, so the episode we actually did get, we talked about how the Doctor continues to maintain that the Matrix has been tampered with, and I. I love this the, the 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 sheer arrogance of the of the Gallifreyans mm. of the Time Lords that that's certainly just it's just impossible. The fact that you maintain this is ridiculous. I'm going to you know hold you in contempt of court for even suggesting something so ridiculous. And then the master shows up and says, "Hi, <laughs> well, I'm inside. speaking from the Matrix." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then you've got the you know the the mystery artifact, you know the X of Rassilon of the week, you know the key of Rassilon, which happens to be a bog standard skeleton key. Right. That you hangs know, it's like nobody. And, 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 and of course, I even just pointed out in the episode. Of course, nobody could just copy it. Oh no, well, it's never left my premises. 
It, okay. Well, the fact is that it's hanging on a hook on the front of his garment, and it's like you could take a photo of that. I mean, like you, you don't need to be a time lord to do this. You could go down to Ace Hardware, yeah, with a photo and have them make a key based off the photo. It's just like, <laughs> duh, nice security you got there. <laughs> I assume it's like one of those keys they have for your car now, where there's electronics embedded in it, but. Sure, sure. I suppose, but uh, the, or, w- w- however it was, the master managed to get a hold of it. You know, or, or you could just be, uh, you know, like the master and just pilot your TARDIS right into it, <laughs> right? Which right. apparently it should have some kind of controls against that, but I guess not. And, well, the master has penetrated the Matrix multiple times. I mean, most recently we saw that in the Timeless Children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's actually done it before this episode, back in Tom Baker's time. In the episode right after Sarah Jane leaves, The Deadly Assassin, it's oh, another right. Master Inside the Matrix story. Mm. And so it's what the Doctor should have done was say, oh, y'all remember the, the, the Deadly Assassin incident, you know, where I got elected president of Gallifrey and the Master was in the Matrix then? How is How, how impenetrable was it then? Right, hmm. right. Yeah, so. Well, we beefed up the security we added McAfee after that. <laughs> oh. So, and then we have uh, Sabalon Glips and Mel arriving on the station together. Uh, the, the, the same way that the doctor arrived in these, these pods. Uh, now, just as a re- recall, I had to I actually had to re- re- uh, look it up because we're, we're doing things out of order. And so I had to remember, when did Mel show up? She showed up for the first time in the previous story, The Terror of the Vervoids. Right. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we don't know how the doctor and Mel met, right? They're like, no. That's well. A, they never they never got around to telling us on screen because Mel is there for a few adventures with the seventh doctor, but then goes and they 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 never revealed it on television. However, Big Finish has. OK. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, are there other companions who just kind of show up? We, we see them in mid journey with the doctor. Mel is unusual. Mel is um, is sort of the proto river song in that she was introduced as this is a companion from your future doctor. And so that's why they were trying to be high concept there, which Mm -hmm. I give them credit for. Unfortunately, with all the turmoil on the show and everything, it Mel didn't really get her just desserts. In fact, her, her, her last name is never revealed on screen. Right. Right. That's true. I mean, I, I feel like she gets a bad rap. Like, right, in, I think in these episodes, they, they make a comment about her voice, even. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I think that's a bit of a bad rap for, for the, uh, the actress. I think she does yeah. a, fair, a fair job. Oh, no, I, I like the actress. Um, but she's kind of hampered because apparently Mel, as she's portrayed, the way she's written is almost a parody of the actor's public persona. Mm. And so because she had she had this like background in theater and she played Peter Pan. Right. And she was known for being perky and and they accentuate, you know, her perkiness. And and so she was perceived as kind of a self parody. But actually, I think not knowing her background, I think she's just fine. I, I don't like it when they give her bad lines of dialogue, like all the hackneyed dialogue in episode 14. Yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, but the, the performance I think is fine. Well, and they had to make sure to get one of her screeches in because, you know, she, she's known for her lungs too, for being able to <laughs> belt those out. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting too, is she's, she's her background. Is she's supposed to be like a computer scientist, a computer programmer, something yes. like that. Which comes out hilariously in episode 14, where they're in the matrix, they're in this dystopian night london nightmare version of Lond- of of dickensian london mm-hmm. and they're they're in some kind of like shop uh i mean like um machine shop and she opens a door and there's some kind of <laughs> alleged allegedly <laughs> yeah. futuristic device behind it yes and she her immediate impression she's immediately very impressed by the fact it's a megabyte modem <laughs> yeah and a whole modem yeah. wow and it's, it's like yeah okay that didn't age well <laughs> um <laughs> not not only would megabyte modems be amazingly slow by mm-hmm. modern standards, but 
this thing isn't a modem. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. not, it's not, it's, it, the doctor then says it's a maser or has a maser in it. And then uh, the Veilyard explains that it's a particle disseminator and it's going to disseminate subatomic particles in a destructive way. And it's like modems have nothing to do with that. Yep. Literally nothing. <laughs> yes, I, you know, I, 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 I will give them credit, though, when they wrote this, you know, to have a 14-4 kilobit modem, kilobit modem, kilobit was fast. Even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I mean, that, it was fast for 14-4 back then. So, uh, yeah, those, those of us who remember dial-up days, that would have been impressive in oh, yes. 1986 when this came out. Yeah, I mean, even slower, maybe. My my, uh, All three of my older siblings all worked for Motorola at the time and uh, sold, sold and serviced modems 300 bods were at least big boxes so yeah <laughs> anyway uh the doctor has i mean the, the master has proved that the matrix can be entered and he doesn't want the failure to beat the doctor instead of him and that's right. that seems to be his motivation and yeah. that's why he sent mel and sabalon glitz to to kind of put a you know a monkey uh whatever a spanner in the works to uh to keep a monkey ranch in america uh, right uh i was trying mm-hmm. to remember the word I'm stuck in uh, in, in Britishisms, uh, and the the Valiant objects to Sabalon giving his testimony because he's a criminal. And I like the fact that the dark, I think it's the doctor, points out uh, just because he's a you know he's a criminal doesn't mean that he's always lying. That his testimony right. is still valid. Yeah. Criminals testify in court all the, all the time, although they are then impeached by the fact they're a criminal, and then the debate ensues among the jury, are they believable on this occasion? Right. Right. Um, yeah, and so this is when Glitz kind of, we basically get an info dump on what's been going on in the in this whole trial of a Time Lord in the background. The Glitz says that there, there were the sleeper astronauts from Mysterious Planet, the first story of this season, uh, that they had stolen information from the Matrix to take back to their, to the Andromeda, Andromeda Galaxy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can say words. Um, <laughs> and uh, this was all in Mysterious Planet. And they, they then hid on Earth, and then the, the Time Lords destroyed Earth to protect their secrets, and then moved it to hide it and renamed it Ravelox and all this other stuff. D- does this, does any of this continue to be part of, I know Doctor Who canon is a fuzzy concept, but does any of this come up in later Doctor Who, this idea that Earth was destroyed and moved? Not on the TV show. Nope. Okay. I mean, there there are later references to the Great Disaster, but we already knew about that from Ark in Space. Okay. Um, and, th- and this is about the same time when the, the Master reveals that the Valyard is the Doctor. So we should talk about the Valyard as it is the Valyard really supposed to be the final regeneration of the Doctor, where all his, of his evil um, uh, character well, traits have kind of concentrated? It's that was the original plan that Holmes had, um, but they they ambiguify that in episode 13. Um, the specific line, and I wrote it down exactly. Uh, so the master first says um, that he's an amalgamation of the mm-hmm. doctor's evil aspects. And then he says somewhere between your 12th and final incarnations. Okay, mm-hmm. and so under the under the canon of the time, your thirteenth incarnation was your last, and and so they're being vague about it. Um, the way it's stated, somewhere between your twelfth and thirteenth incarnations mm-hmm. could mean it's one of the two, or a, a theory that some fans came up with: maybe he's a watcher. Because mm. when the fourth doctor regenerated into the fifth, there was this sort of futury version of the doctor known as the Watcher who showed up and then merged with Tom Baker to become the fifth doctor. And so maybe the Valyard is like an it's it's not quite the thirteenth incarnation. Maybe it's a Watcher that precedes the thirteenth incarnation. Mm. But the bottom line is um, is he wants the doctor's lives and this raises questions um in the, i mean both under canon at the time and canon today so under canon at the time if the if the high council had gone to the last watcher or the last incarnation of the doctor 
and said, we want you to do something for us. We want you to prosecute your former self and, and we'll give you his lives. Doesn't that immediately create a, a, a really bad paradox? Uh-huh. I mean, you're not supposed to cross your own timelines, much less how do you take your own past and put it in your future without creating the mother of all grandfather paradoxes? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and I love that phrase, by the way, the mother <laughs> of all grandfather paradoxes. <laughs> um, and, and so that makes a, not very much sense. Also, think about it from the Valyards' perspective. They're offering to give you the lives of... They're offering to to give you some former lives. Why not ask for them all? Go all the way back to William Hartnell. Why are you picking on your sixth former incarnation and getting back six lives when you could be getting back 12? Right, right. So those don't seem to make much sense. And then under current uh, canon, where it has now been established that that the earlier conception was true and the doctor is not limited to 13 incarnations um, and has in fact had many more than that. Why would the Valyard and the high council frame it in this way? If he can presumably regenerate indefinitely. And I suppose the answer would be that the time that the knowledge of his past had been deleted from his memory and was top secret. So even the high council might not know about it. Mm. Or if they knew about it, they just wanted to manipulate him. But mm. the Valyard himself did not have those memories, and so did not realize that he had lived before William Hartnell. Interesting. Yeah. Which, you know, the the Twelfth Doctor, um, Peter Capaldi, did not know. Right. Right. Yeah. That's... Um... Yeah. Uh, well, maybe we'll come back to that because I get some thoughts, but I want to talk about mm-hmm. some other things before we come back to that. Um, there is we we did talk about a big finish story, by the way, where we had the trial of the Villiard. Yeah, we, that was where we, fun. Yep. We see what happens good. when the, the uh, tables are turned. Uh, so go back and check that out if you haven't uh, listened to that. Uh, so the doctor chases the Villiard into the Matrix along with uh, Glitz. Glitz goes along with him. And mentioned i thought it was like a victorian world but it could have been dickensian even earlier uh but this strange dark world uh and it's pretty effective i mean it's it's nighttime it's this grimy dingy looking part of london apparently mm. there's a there's a a, a wall a, a notification hanging on the wall about a current cholera outbreak mm-hmm. it's like oh nice we're in the <laughs> middle of a cholera outbreak oh joy <laughs> of course of course <laughs> And uh, this, and, and and it is Victorian also, yeah. Because when the Master's TARDIS materializes, he's got a functioning chameleon circuit, and so at one point they're on a beach in the Matrix, and they're being attacked by nerve gas, and they run into this beach shack, which turns out to be the Master's TARDIS, and then he materializes it in the Nightmare London, and it's a statue of Queen Victoria sitting on a pedestal, and they come out of the pedestal. I kind of wish that the Doctor's TARDIS could do chameleon things occasionally. Just, I mean, I love the blo- the blue box, but it is kind of fun to just see it become different things. Well, it has that. a we, few we, times. We, yeah, we, yeah, we've talked about that in the, the sixth episode, the sixth Doctor episode, where he tries to fix the chameleon circuit and it ends up being like this real, uh, you know, ornate organ in the middle of yeah. a junkyard. Things well, like that's that. Right. That's right. I remember that. Um, by the way, the location for the this Victorian London at night is the Gladstone Pottery Pottery Museum in Stoke on Trent. So uh, oh, it's cool. apparently a, a well known place. Uh, so Glitz has come along because he's got a message from the Master to the Doctor that says that the he can find the Villiard in the Matrix at a place called the Fantasy Factory. Um, and uh, meanwhile, the Master's still on screen at, at the trial. Uh, Mel could didn't didn't get into the Matrix behind them. But uh, the master's still there, and he's explaining that um, not everything that we saw in the previous episodes actually happened. And so we're kind of rewriting some of the season as we go, which the doctor's been saying, not everything that we've seen is actually what happened. And, for example, Perry didn't die. Perry actually survived and is married to um, King Urkanos. King Urkanos, yes. Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. And we we do we do get a little bit uh, a little bit of a um, visual of them together. She's like a warrior queen now, I guess. 
Uh, Although was, she's not dressed as one in the clip we see because it was filmed. It was, I'm sure that was unused footage from Mind Warp. Yes. Actually, I thought that was right out of Mind Warp. I thought it, it was, may be. Yeah. You know, I, I thought right. it was literally they just took like a little one, you know, five second snippet where he put his hand on her shoulder and made that being the. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we have uh, the master talking about how he's 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 doing all of this because he knows the doctor has oh. to die in either case, whether it's a failure or the doctor. Uh, so he's happy with the whatever results. Plus. He loves May, the opportunity and, to up, undermine the council. Yeah, and also maybe they'll kill each other. Right. I wanted to mention, though, Nicole Bryant was very unhappy that they retconned her death. Oh. Because she thought shaving her head and having an alien <laughs> slug in her brain, who's like a space Nazi, yelling was, and then getting blown to bits by Brian Blessed's ray gun. Um, she thought that was a great exit for her character. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like, what? I'm alive? No, that was an awesome exit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went out in a blaze of glory or shame. Yeah. And then they retcon it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, uh, I would be annoyed too. Um, so the, you mentioned uh, that the doctor goes to the factory and then there's, uh, there's a whole like uh, bureaucracy and Mr. Uh, Popplewick. Popplewick, uh that he has to go through and procedures and stuff and i'm like this is like hell like this is what mm-hmm. what yeah. hell would be like is being stuck in an eternal bureaucracy of procedures and whatnot and that's really kind of i think what the valiant has built here is is sort of a hell or even just a really bad purgatory for the doctor to yeah. exist in and by, by the way mr Popplewick, if he looks familiar to people who like british comedy is because he was on slow on keeping up appearances which if you haven't seen it and you like british humor it's absolutely fan. It's it's fantastic. But he was he was kind of a redneck, what we would call a redneck here in the United States. You know, you'd wear like the the white uh, tank top undershirts all the time. Oh, okay. And while while his sister in law wanted to be like proper, she wanted to be a, a lady. You know, and and it was a uh, it's quite the show. But it was played by uh, Jeffrey Hughes. He also I didn't realize this voiced Paul McCartney in Yellow Submarine. Oh wow! Ooh, really? The movie Yellow Submarine was voiced. He voiced Paul McCartney. So I didn't oh know wow, that, that was kind of yeah. In his sister in Keeping Up Appearances or whatever is uh, Hyacinth Bucket, but because <laughs> she she wants to affect high class uh, mm-hmm. mannerisms and so forth uh, and affect a high class culture, she doesn't want to be called France uh, Hyacinth Bucket. She wants it to be hyacinth bouquet. Yes. <laughs> That's good. And her uh, long-suffering husband, Richard, we've seen uh, in New Who. Yeah. Yep. So, um, oh, one thing. So I, it, I don't like the, I, I just don't, this is a holodeck plot. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. And I don't like holodeck plots. Um, but I will give him credit for the Nightmare London is is effective and not just because of the visuals but also they do things on the soundtrack to help make it creepy they have children chanting nursery rhymes out of Mm -hmm. nowhere unseen Mm -hmm. children doing this they have a a woman laughing maniacally that we never see you know um the doctor when he leans over a water barrel to get a drink a hand comes up out of it and tries (laughs) to drown him that was and, <laughs> and it's all just random creepy stuff, but it is creepy stuff. Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, the, like the, uh, yeah, the, uh, did you mention the quicksand, the beach? Uh, uh, well, I mentioned the beach, but yeah, when they go on the beach, the, the, the doctor ends up standing on some ground that turns out to be sort of quicksand, and these hands come up out of the ground to pull him under the quicksand. And it actually looks a lot like the visual for the hand mines from Scarrow mm-hmm. in, mm. uh, in new who. Right. Yep. Right. And, and that's the uh, cliffhanger for the, uh, the, 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 between 13, episodes 13 and 14. So that, uh, that's, we have the doctor emerging from the sand later, uh, yeah. when, when Sabalon comes. Oh, I was also going to mention. So one of the characteristics of Robert Holmes's writing is he, he, he satirizes things he hates. Mm-hmm. And in this, he's satirizing um, bureaucracy. Okay, yeah. yeah so that's, that's why we get a lot of on-the-nose lines about bureaucracy. <laughs> right. The, the procedure is sacrosanct. <laughs> right. So the Villiard on the beach, we have this discussion between the Villiard and the doctor. And he, he says, the, you know, 
the only reality we can agree on is the ultimate reality of death, you know, the typical evil villain sorts of things. But he says he wants to destroy the doctor to release him from the doctor's morality, which is mm-hmm. very evil. And uh, now we're into episode 14. Yep. Where the Pip and Jane Baker were handicapped by not knowing what was supposed to happen. And they're just making it up as they go at this point, which is <laughs> yeah. kind of what happens in fiction in general, but usually with a yeah. little bit more of a plan. <laughs> right, right. And and so we see that, like the doctor ends up in the master's TARDIS and the TARDIS, the master zombifies the doctor to use him as bait for the villain, who then turns the tables on the master. And so we have this... This this uh yeah, complicated s- series thing. of events. Yeah. 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 Uh Mel shows course, up. Yep. I was gonna say, of course, we know it's the Master's TARDIS because it's the same exact set, just painted black. <laughs> right, right. Not white like the doctor said. Uh Mel shows up to take the doctor back to the trial where I, I this was my first time seeing it, and so I'm as I see her taken back to the trial, I'm thinking, How do you know you're not in the Matrix? Which is the classic trope yeah. of any holodeck mm-hmm. story or anything like that. How do, or or the what was the movie with um the dream the dreaming one with Inception uh, Inception it's the classic Inception yep. question right how do you know you're not dreaming so she takes him back to the trial where she's asked if what they saw regarding the vervoids is true and the doctor sentenced to death and oh no how could this possibly be how can we get out of this now and it turns out it's all inside the matrix anyway yeah so it's kind of uh, I don't know I feel like that's it's a little bit of a cheap cliche, but again, they're working fast as they can to write an episode. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And the doctor also, as he is suddenly agreeing to his um, execution uh, on the grounds that justice must be done and the rule of law must prevail and he's been found guilty and stuff like that. And he even starts quoting from A Tale of Two Cities by Dickens. You know, it is a far, far better thing I do than I have ever done and so forth, oh. which is... That's mm-hmm. that's a line from uh, the character Sidney uh, Carlton um, in Tale of Two Cities, who is an innocent man who is allowing himself to be falsely ex- to be executed in someone else's place, oh, and yeah. and that's why Mel runs up to him at, at at the end and and says, "Enough with the Sidney Carlton stuff." <laughs> right. I thought he was um, quoting Kirk in Wrath of Khan, but that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a little older than that. Oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> but he then says he knew that it, that he chastises Mel for ruining it because he realized his execution, his executioner would be the Valyard, and what he's trying to get is a confrontation with the Valyard. And he knew all the time that um, that that the trial he was in was fake because uh, Mel knew in the Matrix that he had it that he had uh, denied committing genocide and she the real mel was not in the courtroom when he said that mm-hmm. and so it gave it away that this was all in the matrix and he was thus using it to try to get a confrontation with the valiard so meanwhile the oh, master okay oh, this is i was this may be where you were going to go but the master is then trying to hypnotize sabalon exactly yep. yeah and we have this <laughs> awesome scene where the master and glitz are in the master's tardis and the master pulls out like a some kind of jewel on a chain, yeah, and starts swinging it back and forth in front of Glitz's face while he's talking, while he and Glitz are talking, and um, in an obvious attempt to hypnotize him, and it kind of it seems to be working, and then the ma- and the master is delighted, and and the master says, you know, Sabalam Glitz, can you hear me? Or are you, I'm sorry, he says, are you listening to me? And he's about to give him his hypnotized, hypnotized instructions. And when he says, are you listening to me? Glitz says, not really. I'm just wondering how many grots it's that bobble costs. <laughs> yeah, he snatches the, <laughs> snatches the jewel away from the master. <laughs> I, I like that. The master's always such a, like, he's, he can always hypnotize anybody except Glitz, who's hypnotized by, by wealth, <laughs> first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, and so then he appeals to his greed and shows him a big treasure chest full of stuff and says, you can have it if you do my bidding. Uh, so Glitz ends up finding the memory bank from Mysterious Planet. Uh, it's been so long since we watched that that I've mm-hmm. been, I, mm-hmm. I, I had to go back and like look at stuff like, what is this? Because, it, yeah, so there was a memory bank that had the secrets from the Matrix that the sleeper astronauts had stolen. And so it's here inside the Matrix now. And the- so... The the and the doc the master wants it now, so the doctor yeah. also finds a list of the members of the court of appeals. I think it is 
the the it, no, it's a, a member of the court. The court itself uh, oh, okay. of the of the of all the the time lords that are on the court itself okay. is where that list comes from. And it's the names are all crossed out, and they're in his handwriting. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the doctor deduces that this is a list that the Valyard made. So apparently, your handwriting doesn't change between regenerations. I guess uh, because. Well. Because this is the doctor's own recognizable handwriting. So. Not in this case, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, and it just shows how he's been tampering with the court. Um, and then we find out that uh, Glitz was working with Popawick to betray the doctor in exchange for the memory bank, and he's going to cross the master who stops him. So we have all of these double crosses and like all of this complicated back and forth, and who's in, fooling in who? Twenty minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, then it turns out that Popawick is the Valyard, or at least one instance of Popawick is the Valyard, because there are several instances of, of, of Popawick. We have a particle disseminator. Is it, is it supposed to be like it makes particles separate? Or it's a, it's a bomb. Or it's just, just distributes. Yeah. It's just a bomb. <laughs> it distributes particles one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> it disseminates and, and, <laughs> and, and, and it's a bomb that works through TV screens. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh so in Blow the cor- it up on this side, it explodes in your living room. See, now that's actually yeah. a clever bomb. Actually, I, I could see that in a future episode of Doctor Who where they would Over- overload that, your TV. That just no, it it like somehow the TV transmits the explosion into the room where the TV is. Uh, that that's a total Doctor Who device. That's I'm just saying. Uh, so uh, in the courtroom, that we with the keeper of the Matrix reveals that there's been an insurrection at Gallifrey. The High Council's been overthrown. The Masters realize this is his time he's gonna declare himself the autocrat in charge of gallifrey and all the time lords but he when he plugs in his memory bank that the thumb drive has been infected with the virus yeah it's now immobilized limbo atrophier whatever that (laughs) is yes well it well it makes everything turn gray and still (laughs) and pushes you against the wall yes uh so he he's been uh, neutralized the master often ends up getting pushed against walls in frozen i mean that same kind of thing happened at the at the uh at uh in his it, the one where he crossed over with the ronnie and they both end up with a baby tyrannosaur pressed against the wall right mm-hmm. right 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 do we do we know who who sabotaged the doctor like i mean the master was it the doctor um, i don't think that ever I, gets revealed i, I if it does it goes by too quickly and i didn't I didn't, I didn't uh, catch care it. to go back and rewatch and listen hard <laughs> I, to try to find out. Yeah. I would guess the Valyard, but mm, again, that's that's could be headcanon. That could be just kind of, he seems the most reasonable choice of who could have done it. Right, right. So the, the Valyard also gets one of the most infamous lines in, uh, in, in Doctor Who history in this sequence where, you know, because he's been trying to purge the Doctor of his morality. Mm-hmm. So that um, so that he can become the evil Valyard, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but as as the doctor is trying to defuse the bomb, the Valyard says, "There is nothing you can do to prevent the catharsis of spurious morality." <laughs> That's like. Just- Wow. Those words have meaning normally. <laughs> right. Are you writing a paper on this thing to submit to a journal? I mean, it's, it's very much academic speak. Uh, I know some theologians who talk like that. So, <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, the doctor diffuses the machine. Well, he causes it to explode, but in the matrix itself. Uh, and it takes the Valyard with it, or so we think. He, he ends up not being dead. It also blows up in the courtroom, but not as devastatingly as might have. Right. Yep. And when he gets back, when the doctor gets back to the courtroom, he's, he's told, of course, the charges are dismissed. And the Inquisitor offers him to be the president of Gallifrey again. Uh, or which, off, invites him to stand for being president. Sure, sure. And uh, he, he declines this time and uh, says, you, Madam Inquisitor, actually, I think you should run. And so uh, presumably and, she, she will. And in Big Finish, the actress comes back and has lots of adventures. Oh, funny. Cool. Every Gallifrey. Every thread gets followed in Big Finish. Let's just put it Almost. that way. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we, this is when we find out that Perry is still alive. And, uh, and then we get the reveal that the Valyard is not dead. Like the Master, he's impossible to kill. 
and he he turns around and there he is standing there in 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 the nobody notices that the keeper of the matrix is no longer the keeper of the matrix but is the valiard because you know hiding in plain sight well he's got the you know the the collar there that guts over his head so he just turned his head so that people couldn't see him <laughs> right yeah right, that's right. it yes all right and that's that's where we end that's the end of colin baker's time he, he and mel get on board the as you mentioned go on board the tardis and she's talking about feeding him carrot juice and making him exercise again uh and uh, that's probably what drives him to to die and uh, regenerate. <laughs> uh, actually, we you, you mentioned Jimmy that there is a big finish. We, we will eventually do, uh, yeah, uh, about that does the regeneration story. But uh, so that this is the end of Colin Baker on televised Doctor Who, and uh, the end of this season, and uh, and so on. So we mentioned we will continue to do six Doctor stories. We'll go, we're going to start doing some big finish six Doctor stories starring Colin Baker just to keep keep him in the uh, in the and and as you said before, the big finish stories are better than the televised ones in general. Frequently, yeah, Frequently, yeah. yeah. Um, and and definitely one to check out is Trial of the Valyard. So after season fourteen or season twenty three, the fourteen episodes of the Valyard prosecuting the Doctor. Uh, in Big Finish, the Valyard gets put on trial, and the Doctor has to defend him. The yes. Sixth Doctor yeah. has to defend him, and it's it's a lot of fun. Yes, it, it is. It and is. I'm, I'm just looking up what episode we talk about that. Uh, that was our episode 156. So go listen to that, then come back and listen to our discussion of the trial of the Valyard. Also, I've been keeping a log of all the way through our treatment of of series 23 of the variants on the name Valyard oh, yes. that <laughs> oh, the good. doctor has used. In Mysterious Planet, he referred to him as the boatyard, the graveyard, the farmyard, and the scrapyard. And Madam Inquisitor warned him not to refer to him as the knacker's yard. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that would be, but whatever. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. Well, knacker's yard was also mentioned by someone. In Mind Warp, he referred to him as the brickyard and the Madam Inquisitor warned him not to refer to him as the backyard, which <laughs> right. is which is an Americanism. Yes. Yeah. Because in England, they would say the back garden. Yeah. We yep. would say the backyard. Uh, and then in in these two episodes, the ultimate foe, he gets referred to as the rail yard and the stack yard. That's right. That's right. So a and, knacker. And, and just to remind folks, yeah. the the name Valyard is a made up Gallifreyan word referring to like a noble counselor. Right. right. Mm -hmm. uh, a knacker is the guy who removed and cleared animal carcasses from private farms or public highways and renders the collected carcasses into byproducts such as fats, tallow, glue, gelatin, bone meal, etc., etc. So he's a biohazard garbage man. Okay. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Waste not, want not. Yeah, uh, indeed. <laughs> especially All right, so in the past. Final thoughts on the ultimate foe on the trial of the time Lord or the sixth doctor. Any of those father Corey? Well, it was a season. Uh, <laughs> this is, and this was a conclusion to a season. You, you know, the, the trial of the time Lord, it's something I had watched many times as a kid. I had it on, on, I have it on VCR, uh, the, like wow. it's a two, 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 two tape, uh, season. Um, and I've watched it. it it's, you know, if you don't take it too seriously, it, it's kind of fun. But yeah, of course, as, as you've heard through our conversations, it, it doesn't stand up to too much scrutiny. But it, it was all right. I mean, it was it was when you know the history of what happened behind the scenes and what was going to follow. It's kind of disappointing because this really the Sixth Doctor kind of started to get a little bit more comfortable in this, mm -hmm. but not to the level that obviously he did with with big finish. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was, it was a season and this was two episodes to close out that season. I will mention in the, the, the 13th, uh, the, the first part of this two parter, we've got the, one of the monologues that's, you know, you see whenever you see a, a, a video of different monologues from the doctor, it's, it's one of the more famous ones where it ends with power, bad conspirators, Daleks and Tarns, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. 10 million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be really corrupt. <laughs> yes yes uh jimmy your thoughts on all of that well um so what is my brief to comment on uh and final thoughts on this the ultimate foe the trial of the time lord and the sixth doctor in general okay 
So um, in regard, it's pretty much the same across the board. There are elements of the ultimate foe, Trial of a Time Lord, and the Sixth Doctor's time that are fun. But it's also profoundly flawed. And it's disappointing um, to... It, 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 it is disapp- it's just disappointing. And it's going to get better in the sixth Doctor's time. One of the things that uh, I in think... In the seventh were, Doctor's time. I'm sorry, in the seventh yeah. Doctor's time. Yep. One of the things that really hampered the sixth Doctor's time is the direction they chose to go in, of having the Doctor start on likable and then make him more likable over time. Doctors should be likable right out of the gate. Even if they're bizarre, like Tom Baker, they should be likable from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a serious mistake to make your protagonist unlikable, especially when he is, when he in in the past has always been likable, and at least within the audience's memory. I mean, I'm accepting William Hartnell and the Unearthly Child. Um, what I in the one adventure that we got to see Mel as the Doctor's companion, the Vervoid one. I mean, that yeah. was it was not a great adventure, but the, the chemistry between the Sixth Doctor and Mel worked much better than the than the chemistry between the Sixth Doctor and and Perry. Yeah. Um partly because of the way they were writing Perry. Perry was constantly complaining about everything. <laughs> and and Mel doesn't. Mel has a spirit of adventure, and she's she's enjoying herself, and that comes across. Mm. And 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 the way that the two of them worked in the Vervoid Crisis, I would have liked to see that. I would like. I would. I think the Six Doctors time would have been much better if we saw that kind of writing for for Colin Baker and his companion throughout his time. It would have worked much better. And in in Big Finish has given him much more of that kind of writing, and he's actually been a very popular doctor on Big Finish. I would have to say, like for me, wa- watching all of this for the first time, the the Sixth Doctor time, the 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 sixth by the end of this season, the Sixth Doctor was finally getting good. He was no longer as obnoxious as he was in the beginning. He was more likable, still a little bombastic, but you know that's the mm-hmm. Doctor. Uh, and I mean, we were finally, I think on the edge of having something good. And that's when they pull the plug on poor Colin Baker mm-hmm. yeah. uh, when we were finally starting to get there. And I was just looking at the dates from, from the regeneration of the fifth doctor that was in March of 1984 to the, 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 the beginning of the seventh doctor, the regeneration into the seventh doctor. There's like a three and a half year period in which we get just a handful of doc, doctor who stories in these two seasons, 22 and 20, season 22, season 23. And really one story, essentially, in season 23. Uh, and it's just like, it just, it felt like this was, this was the, perhaps what really struck a blow to the popularity of the Doctor and kind of foretold the end that was coming mm-hmm. for it. I mean, they just were, they, they had lost steam, I would think. The, when we complain about, uh, you know, Modern Who having only, you know, a 10 to 13, 10, 10 to 14 episodes per season. Well, this was a 14-episode season, but at least with Modern Who, they're 45-minute-long episodes. Right. These were half as long, so there really was the equivalent of se- a seven-episode season today. Right, which is what we got with the, uh, the last season of, yeah, The Flux. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it's also an interesting, it was a season-long story arc, which is a uh, something that Modern Who has picked up in with a vengeance (laughs) well but unfortunately they they modern who does it better courtroom Mm -hmm. 14 episode courtroom drama where you don't even have an overarching legal thing driving it forward i mean if i i I, i'm i'm fine with courtroom dramas um 12 angry men is overrated though Mm. (laughs) um but uh but i'm i'm principal i'm fine with having legal with courtroom legal dramas a good even science fiction ones a good example of that is the book fuzzy nation by john scalzi it Mm. is uh it is a sort of sci-fi comedy that turns into a serious courtroom drama Mm. and it is really good the 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 legal maneuvering is is outstanding 
and very entertaining, and it keeps you intellectually engaged, as opposed to the trial we get here, right? Which is which is what we've really got is three independent stories that have had this trial narrative slapped on top of them. Mm-hmm. And there's no coherent legal case that's being made. Instead, we just have a bunch of courtroom grandstanding by the Valeyard and the doctor and and the Madam Inquisitor. And the the legal case doesn't advance. It's it over this. It's it's just a lot of bombastic verbal wheel spinning. And mm-hmm. and that kind that's the lazy cliched way to write mm-hmm. courtroom stuff for television, and I, I find that particularly unfortunate. Yeah, you know, I, I'm just looking at the the two seasons of stories, and if I were to pick, I would say my favorite of the six Doctor time is the two Doctors, which is ironic given that it's really what makes that great is the second Doctor and Jamie McCrinnan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, pretty much, but it's my it's I would pick those as my that one is my favorite of the. Uh, Mm-hmm. Other time. Plus the setting. I like that they went to Spain and they had it on location and it was, uh, you know, something special as opposed to running around a you know BBC studio set. But uh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of speaking of that, uh, that sequence or that story, like um, like all of the others for the Sixth Doctor gets mentioned in the Sycorax Rock One Night on Varos, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll have at the end of this episode. And be sure to not just listen to and enjoy the song, but go to uh, go to Andy Hicks's channel on YouTube. It's called Sycorax Rock, and watch the video because he not only makes this song, which is a parody of One Night in Bangkok, but um, but he also matches it to footage from the Six Doctors' time, and it's a really creative video. And a really fun song. I, uh, I, 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 I particularly, in, I remember one night in Bangkok being on the radio back mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. back in the eighties when this, when this season of Doctor Who was on the air, and, um, and it's, it's a, it's, it, it was a popular song, and I really like what Andy's done with it to turn it into Doctor Who. Excellent. So uh, let's get to our listener feedback. We had feedback on our recent episode. 282 on Robot of Sherwood. And our first feedback comes from Mark, who wrote on our Facebook page, I heard you announce that your next show will be about the Mask of Mandragora. Uh, And this is the very first Doctor Who story I ever watched, and it remains an all-time favorite. Sadly, I never could convince my wife that giving one of our children a middle name of Hieronymus would be awesome. <laughs> Aww. Uh, if Too you bad. like, if you like the name Hieronymus, you should definitely watch the, uh, the, the Amazon Prime series Bosch, where the main character is Hieronymus Bosch or Harry Bosch. Uh, So check that out. Uh, Then he also says uh, on Robot of Sherwood, so many stupid things in this episode, but still fun. If you watch it like it's a fable or fairy tale, Jenna Coleman looked absolutely stunning in her period dress and long hair. Jenna Coleman looks stunning in anything. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's right. It is Jenna Coleman. (laughs) Or even I'm sure she would. You know what don't, I'm, you know, well, never there. mind. Don't go there. Don't go there. Let's keep this a family-friendly episode, but I know what you were saying. Uh, then, moving on, Bennett Gillespie on Facebook writes, uh, I didn't personally find this episode any more exciting than you did. The cultural reference for me as a Brit didn't make it any more delightful. So, oh, good. Darn. Thanks, Bennett. <laughs> All right. So, we were also going to talk about some Doctor Who news, and... Uh, mm-hmm. The, the 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 big news is we we know that there's a new 14th doctor we talked about about him uh the the actor who's going to be playing the 14th doctor last time i think it was uh but there's also been some news about another doctor uh the 10th doctor david tennant is returning to screen mm-hmm. along with Catherine tate as uh donna noble and uh, bernard cribbins as wilford mott one of my favorites of all time yay in a special is is it a special for the 60th anniversary of the bbc well it's at least that or the 100th um, anniversary of the bbc was, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. no the so the regeneration oh how did how the regeneration they? episode is the 100th anniversary of the bbc, of the BBC. And that's this, this is november this, this november yeah. Next year there will be a um the 60th a, anniversary a 60th of the doctor. anniversary of doctor who Right. And David Tennant is back for that. There are also rumors of other things like Christmas specials um, before the next full season kicks off. And mm-hmm. I've heard rumors of as many as three 
um, specials that David Tennant may be involved in, in mm. The Gap. Um, the question is how, and, and Russell T. Davies has confirmed that Tennant and Noble are going to be back, or that the Tenth Doctor and Donna Noble are going to be back, uh, Catherine right. Tate. Um, but uh, he's, he's deliberately left it vague about how that's going to happen. Mm. Because, mm. like, how can Donna see the Doctor again without her mind burning? And right. apparently they're going to have some solution for that. Um, the, and apparently her, the husband she got married to in her departure, Mm -hmm. um, or after her departure, really, it was in the end of time during the Mm -hmm. sequence where the doctor is visiting his former companions. Uh, she was getting married then. She's still married to that guy. He's going to appear. Okay. Um, unit is rumored to, is uh, allegedly supposed to appear and they're supposed to have a daughter named Rose. Right, um, right. Presumably because she's got this name Rose in her subconscious and doesn't know why she's always liked that name. Right. So sure. nothing to do with Rose Tyler directly. But what's what I'm wondering, and I've seen some interesting speculation on that I think would be really cool if they do it, involves the way that David Tennant gets involved. Now, I've commented for some time when they announced, okay, we're going to have the regeneration in, at the end of 2022, we're going to have a 60th anniversary special, and then we're going to have another season with the 14th Doctor, who's played by Shudi Gatwa. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, thinking as a writer, how do you do that? Because 60th, you know, dec- decadal anniversaries of Doctor Who have tended to avoid tended to involve multiple doctors. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if you've just had the regeneration into Shudigatwa, and it, that's the time we need to be get to knowing him. Mm. Right. How do you, and you don't want to have multiple other doctors come in and step all over, who are better known, and step all over his first appearance. Right. <clears throat> And so I, I thought to myself, how, you know, I, there are ways they can solve that. But um, the way that I've seen speculated and that seems consistent with the data that uh, is mm-hmm. currently public is there's going to be something that goes wrong with Jodie Whittaker's regeneration. And instead of regenerating into the 14th Doctor, she degenerates back into the 10th. Ah. And and then he must figure out what went wrong and how to fix it over one or more specials in order to accomplish the natural progression to Shudi Gatwa. Hmm. And ah. and so um so that would solve the problem much more nicely and organically than if we suddenly cut away in time to the tenth doctor for no reason. Right. Or if it- the tenth doctor suddenly intrudes on things. So this is how it's going to happen in the in the regeneration special with the 14th Doctor. She's going to regenerate, going to have all the Artron radiation, and then it's going to finish. And it's going to be David Tennant sitting there and he's going to go, what? What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Totally going to do that. What? We, 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 we may also get um, flashes of other doctors in the degeneration process. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. we could see the twelfth Doctor and the eleventh Doctor momentarily before we see the tenth Doctor. Maybe even the ninth right. Doctor. That would be awesome. I would uh, love to that, see that. I, that I doubt. Um, Go because yeah. it's Russell T Davies. Yeah, that and also now he has recently at a convention expressed some openness to televise Doctor Who before, uh, but not for the sixtieth anniversary. He said that if that the ninth Doctor is a one man band, and if you want the ninth Doctor, it needs to be just him. He's not mm. interested in doing multi-doctor things where he only gets a tiny portion of the overall dialogue and focus. Know. Yeah. But uh, but I, depending on whether there are, there are also indications. Now, Matt Smith has indicated he's open to doing Doctor Who in the future, although he's mm-hmm. been trying to get a Hollywood career going. Yeah. Um, and there have been, I think, Peter Capaldi has been... S- may have been seen in Cardiff recently. Mm. Also, some of the other doctors have, but some of the classic doctors. Um, but uh, but we'll have to see. A lot of this is still up in the air, but I, I suspect 
the degeneration idea is correct because right. that not only fits the current data, but it's some and it, it's an organic, elegant solution to mm-hmm. how do you get classic doctors back for the 60th and not step all over Shooty's uh, debut. Right, mm-hmm. right. And I'm sure it's going to have something to do with the Timeless Child story and all of that, too. Well, according Maybe. to some of the alleged leaks, uh, and these fan leaks are highly unreliable. But, yeah, yeah. But according to some of them, uh, by the end of the special, the regeneration special, she does open the pocket watch. Okay. Mm. Maybe, oh, and maybe that's what comes out of it is, yeah. The, it could, that could affect her regeneration. Right. Especially since yeah. it was the 11th doctor who, I mean, the 10th doctor who used the pocket watch, the chameleon circuit. Think, uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, he did. Arch or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, chameleon arch. Yeah. Chameleon arch and then the pocket watch undoes it. Yeah. 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 Right. So interesting. Yeah, the only All thing right. I think we really know yeah. for sure is that they are coming back and that the 10th Doctor's got a different outfit, and obviously Donna and Wilf are both much older. So yeah. beyond yeah, that, I've it's seen all speculation. Some, I've seen some like uh, photos that people take of the, of the set, like people in buildings nearby shooting down from the windows of uh, the Doctor pushing Wilf in a, uh, in a wheelchair. Because Bernard Cribbins is 90. I mean, the poor guy's he, oh, not he's yeah. older. He's anywhere. older than 90. He's like 93 or 94. Yeah, he's he's yeah. up there. So uh, uh, I just I just love the, the idea that he's back. So one of my favorites. All right. I think that should do it. We'd like to thank our patrons to make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Andy F., Andrew P., David H., Jordan B., and Robert R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So we'd love to hear what you think of The Ultimate Foe, this two-part episode, or the whole uh, Trial of a Timeless series, or the whole Six Doctor story, or (laughs) whatever's coming up with Doctor (laughs) Who. We want to hear it all, so we want all your feedback. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com, or at the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or join the conversation that we're having over at the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, The Caretaker. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, but there's nothing you can do to prevent the catharsis of spurious morality. <laughs> thank you, Maths. Father Corey Stika, <laughs> thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, for a lie to work, it must be shrouded in truth. Does the galaxy know what the galaxy is getting? The creme de la creme of the Time Lords in a show with everything but Brian Blessed. Oh, look, we've got him too. Time flies, nothing's off the table since my last regeneration. I'm a bit unstable. Bombast, I need to prove my mettle, so I'm dragging Perry off to someplace dreadful. It's Jaconda, or Telos, or Shoreditch, or, or this place. Very like another, even Earth's got mysteries to uncover. It's a mob, it's a riot, they're causing a commotion. Gotta help George Stevenson do the locomotion. What do you mean? You meet one amoral renegade time lady. Am I okay? Gonna end up in an Evergreen souffle. This spains me to say aloud, but I'm dripping sweat from my noble brow. Perry, from now on, we are strict vegetarians.
announced today that the Time Lord, who's been on our screens for about 22 years now, will be off the air. like a number but the evidence isn't how I remember where's Perry don't you know I hate tricks and oh there's the master speaking from the matrix thank Rassilon he's just observing this thing trolling it I'm quite annoyed I'll fight this is how I dealt with the vervoid crisis these records I'll dispute for you should know I improve in future so it's time to get back to my carrot juice carrot juice carrot juice Through a 